The Pilgrimage of the Heart Philosophy Exploration is brought to you by PYO.Yoga, an online studio for all your yoga needs, including videos in Spanish and Russian. This podcast is also brought to you by Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga, located in San Diego and serving over 1,000 yogis a week. Hi, this is Sujantra. Join me now and every week as we explore yogic philosophy and apply it to our daily lives. When last we left off, Indra had gone up to the highest heaven after, after the big battle in heaven where he had been defeated by the demons. And in particular, the most powerful of all the demons is Ravana. And what Indra, like the, he's the god of thunder, the god of the storm, what he learns from Brahma, which is the, um, actually what he learns from Nar- Narayana, who's the highest realm, is that Ravana made one mistake when he like um, got his boon. He basically got a wish because he was so powerful. God gave him any wish. He said, I want to be immortal. I don't want to be defeated by any god or demon. But what he forgot to say is man, human being. So he forgot to say that. And so when he's up in the, when Indra's in the highest heaven with Narayana, Narayana is basically going to go down, take human form to battle Ravana. So Narayana says, I'm going down. And he tells Indra, Indra has to do his job now. So there's these like the highest realm, the heavenly realm, and then the earthly realm, and then the demon realm. And so um, now basically God is going to take human form. And this is one of the principles you find in religions and spiritual philosophy that there's, even amongst what you would call like realized teachers, teachers who've realized the truth, who've gone beyond their own perceptions to that cosmic perception, that even among teachers, there's a highest realm of teachers who descend from the highest to like transform the earth. And you can see this in, if you look at teachers like Buddha or Jesus, because you look at humanity and even though we, um, you know, that, that consciousness or those philosophies have spread around the world. And so they're really powerful. So if you think of your own life and this, and you know, what, what will be the legacy of your life. And not to demean anybody's life, but just to get a kind of a humble sense of the difference um, or or the reality that that a spiritual teacher can bring to the earth. You know, to bring a a philosophy, and it's not just the words of the philosophy, it's the consciousness and the energy that that they embody. And it's very, really, really powerful. And so... Narayana says, okay, I'm going down. In fact, I've already gone down. And so hurry up and do what you have to do. 
So here we go. We will go down now, said Narayana. Indra said, Lord, kill him. Kill the evil Ravana forever. I hate that proud and pampered Rakshasha. Favor me and curse him. Give to death his faces torn apart. So Ravana, the evil demon, has ten heads. Dry away our fear as the sun dries the morning dew. I will, said Narayana. Listen, Vashishta begins to call you to earth with songs. Go, he waits beside the sleepy river. So down on earth, the priest Vashishta is pouring the, the ghee into the fire and chanting mantras. The melted butter flowed from Vashishta's ladle into the flames. Vashishta sang, Indra, be my bridge from high to low. Do my bidding, obey me. So the king had enlisted Vashishta to do the mantras to bring Indra down so that his wives could have children. That's why he's doing this fire. Because he's he's been a king 60,000 years, but he doesn't have a son to take over the kingdom. So he gets the, the, the priest of the kingdom to do these sacrifices and he's chanting the mantras. The tongues of the fire danced and Indra came unseen in the sky, free again and feasting on smoke. Vashishta sang, Narayana, we take your protection. Love your home a moment. Draw near, come to us. Vashishta threw flowers in the fire and quickly stepped back to stand beside King Dasharatha. They heard a ringing, loud noise, a fierce clang of metal, but saw nothing. What was that? asked the old king. Indra's sharp discus drops, said Vashishta. They heard a crash like a falling tree, and Vashishta, and Vashishta said, His huge mace has now fallen. There was a hollow, rolling sound. His conch shell is down. They caught the sudden scent of lotuses. Then a giant black man rose from the flames in a stream of smoke and a burning shower of sparks. He stepped out from the fire and frowned and glared with menace at the king. But Dasharatha faced him unmoved. The giant wore crimson. His whole body was covered with dark lion's hair. His belt was a bowstring. His palms were marked with thunder signs and the soles of his feet with wheels. He had a thick, glossy beard and long black hair on his head. He had the yellow eyes of a tiger and held out a streaming golden bowl like the sun with a silver cover. King Dasharatha took the bowl in his hands. The black giant said, Feed this to your wives. It will bring you sons. The fire crackled and the black man vanished. 
Inside the bowl was rice cooked with milk and sweetened with sugar. Vashista, the priest, walked three times round the fire in right-turning circles. King Dasharatha felt like a poor man who has, who has found a treasure undreamt of, like a man rich in happiness, like a lost voyager finding the way home. So one thing I really like about this is we see Indra in this in this form, the form that he takes before these these um, human beings who've basically called him with their desires. They're not saying Indra, come down and give us peace, and um, you know you you know you're a wise a wise uh, god. Give us what we need. They're like, hey, we want, you know, we want sons for the king. And so they, they have their desires. And so Indra takes this, this really terrifying form. You know, he's got hair like a lion, the eyes like a tiger. He's fierce. He's menacing. Whereas a few moments earlier, up in, up in heaven, Indra was like upset. He was angry. He felt defeated. You know, Ravana had beat him. He was upset. He took a brick, went up to the highest realm, was going to like smash Brahma's castle. So in one moment of the story, he's like a, a poor loser who doesn't understand why things are happening. He's upset and angry at everybody. But then when it comes time to do his job, you know, to go to earth and answer the prayers and, and bring the, the bowl of, uh, the magical bowl elixir, he, he has this fierce form. And so you can think about your own life and how, you know, at times you deal with insecurity or we deal with fear or self-doubt. But then, hopefully, there come moments where, where you just step up and you transcend those things and you, you do uh, your highest task or you take on the noblest challenge in your life. So I think we a lot of times look at, you know, powerful people like, just for example, like Martin Luther King, you see him giving his incredible, uh, I have a dream speech. <clears throat> and, you know, he's embodying that energy, but surely he didn't spend his whole life in that <clears throat> exalted state. He, he had self-doubt, there were things he was afraid of, he had his own um, personal issues in life. But at, at that key moment, he could stand up and really embody an energy. And so the same thing with our own lives. It's not like we have to be perfect all the time or fearless all the time or confident all the time. But there are times when we do need to, if we're really going to make our life a powerful expression. So knowing that everything passes, you know, it transitions. So this moment's feeling of unworthiness or loneliness, you just keep going and, and it'll pass. And you can obtain your menacing form. (laughs) 
And so Dasharatha gets what he wants. The, the God says, here, here's the bowl of um, nectar. Feed this to your wives and they'll have the children. They'll have the sons. King Dasharatha went to the inner rooms of his palace. All the servants of his three queens were smiling. Their faces lighted. The rooms as the sky is flooded with the lovely beams and rays of the autumn moon. Dasharatha gave the gleaming bowl to his first wife, Kashalya, and said, Eat half of it. When Kashalya had eaten half the rice, he gave his second wife, Sumitra, half of what remained. He gave the youngest wife, Kaikei, half of what Sumitra had left. He thought for a moment and gave all the rest to Sumitra again. A year later, on the ninth day of spring, Rama was first born to Kashalya. And Rama is the hero of our story. So Ramayana is the tale of Rama. Rama was first born to Kashalya. Later that same day, Bharata was born to Kaikeyi. Then still later, Sumitra bore two sons, Lakshmana and Shatrugna. Their father lit their birth fires in jars of earth. He named them on the eleventh day of their lives, and the Koshalas, which are the, it's the kingdom of Koshala, and the Koshalas danced in the streets and rang all the temple bells. Rama grew to be his father's favorite son. Rama was not tall and not short. He had more energy than the sun and a deep voice. He had colorful green eyes. His skin was cool, soft green and so smooth that even dust would not cling to him. His wavy hair was dark green. He walked like a lion. The soles of his feet were flat and marked with royal dharma wheels. There was no hollow between his shoulder blades on his back. His arms were long and reached to his knees. He had 40 identical white teeth, all shaped like pomegranate seeds. His thumbs bore the four lines of knowledge when they joined his hand, where they joined his hands. He had high shoulders like a lion and a graceful brow, a broad chest, three folds in his neck at the base of his throat like the spirals of a shell. He had a deep collarbones and a long tongue, a sharp nose, heavy jaws, and the eyelashes of a bull. His breath was lotus-scented. Of all men, only Rama was born knowing his own heart. Knowing his own heart. And so he has all these, like, powerful physical attributes. And you can imagine in ancient India when these stories were told and retold, the lions and the tigers that lurked were like such powerful animals. They could, you know, they could defeat any man easily. And so we see them in ba- uh, in giving him these qualities. And then there's all these really, really powerful qualities. And then, of all men, only Rama was born knowing his own heart. And so that's a, another challenge we all face is to, to know what's truest in our hearts. What is, you know, when we get down to 
the biggest questions in life. What's the purpose of my life? What should I do with my life? Etc., etc. The spiritual philosophy says that all the answers are there inside our hearts. That, that knowing, that wisdom that we're searching for is inside of our hearts. Lakshmana, the second brother, was Rama's second self. He was Rama's own life walking beside him. He always kept Rama company and served him in everything before himself. Lakshmana was of golden skin and measureless strength. His eyes were blue as wildflowers and his straight hair was golden brown. Lakshmana would not sleep without Rama near him, nor eat unless Rama shared his food. When Rama went riding on horseback, there rode Lakshmana behind him, behind him holding a bow. Prince Bharata was born with red skin, rosy eyes, and scarlet lips, and fiery hair red as flames. His brother Shatrugna had dark blue skin and black eyes and black hair. And in the same way that his twin Lakshmana was drawn to Rama, Shatrugna accompanied Bharata everywhere and thought Bharata dearer than his own life itself. And so in the Indian philosophy, they talk about the types of love that exist, the types of love. And I forget the exact number, I think it's eight. But one of them is, is the love between siblings. And, and here we find it exemplified in these two sets of brothers. Because, you know, there's a, the love of parents for children, siblings, husband and wife, love for God. So these different elements. And so in, this, in the story we find different Examples of these different kinds of love in their ideal form. So this this brotherly love. And all the guys are different colors. So Rama's green, Lakshmana, golden skin, Bharata's red skin, and Shatrugna's dark blue skin. Wonder what that means. <laughs> One thing it could relate. To like the different races. Of, of humankind. It could also relate to like the different planes of consciousness. You know how we talk about the different chakras. Being different colors. Green, gold, blue, red. Hmm, okay, we're almost done with the first chapter here. When the four princes were 16 years old, the recluse Vishwamitra 
came to the Koshala kingdom in the spring. The frontier guards sent word to the capital, and King Dasharatha met him there on foot outside the city. So when they say recluse, it's not a negative. He's a, a holy man who lives alone out in the forest, so he comes in. King Dasharatha met him there on foot outside the city. The king held flowers and water, grass and rice, and said, Welcome to you, great priest. I hope your journey to me went well. Vishwamitra answered, I hope your land here is peaceful and your kingdom rich. Are all your friends well? Are your warriors obedient to you and defiant to your enemies? I hope your foes are dead and that you keep well the duties of a king. They walked together into the capital city. The priest, Vashishta, met them there and said, Vishwamitra, you arrive here like the summer rain, like the recovery of something lost, like bright dawn after night. By our good fortune, we have gained your company. Today, our births have borne fruit and our lives gained their goals. And so in the Indian philosophy, it talks about the blessing to, to meet a truly holy person. And so that's, that's what the um, Vashi, uh, Vashishta is referring to. So this great yogi comes out of the forest and comes into the kingdom. And the thing he, things he's saying, by good fortune we have gained your company. Today our births have borne fruit. Our births have borne fruit, and our lives gained their goals. And so, if you think about your own life, the power that certain people have had in your life. So you look across the expanse of your life, and there's going to be certain people who you've crossed paths with, or who've come into your life, that have been huge blessings, that have really... um, given you fulfillment or given you direction or had a very special role to play. And so when you start to seek spiritually, when you start to intensify your spiritual life as all of you do, then it's not just what life brings you, but you consciously make an effort. You know, so reading spiritual books, doing meditation, reading the writings of genuine teachers, it's, it's bringing this energy into your life. So it really accelerates your spiritual journey. When they were seated in the palace, King Dasharatha said to Vishwamitra, Why have you come? Whatever you want, I will gladly give you. Promise me that, said Vishwamitra. I promise, said Dasharatha. Vishwamitra said, Majesty, That promise becomes you alone. No one else would make it. The pathless forest where I live has become a courtyard of evil, and no longer is there any safety from the demon Rakshashas who obey the monstrous demon king, Ravana. Vishwamitra said, King, for years I have tried to complete a sacrifice in the solitary forest. I do nothing wrong and leave nothing out. I never daydream. 
My work and my work is absolutely without lapses or holes. So Vishwamitra is describing now what the problem is. His, his forest is being overrun with demons and he's describing that his sacrifices aren't working. And he's saying, I've tried to complete a sacrifice, but it's not working. I do nothing wrong and leave nothing out. I never daydream. So imagine if you could apply that to your own meditation. You know, imagine that you're, you knew the significance of your own meditation and you were so diligent that you gave 100% concentration. You didn't let your mind wander. You didn't daydream. You know, you're, you're doing as well as you can. He says, my work is absolutely without lapses or holes. The most learned rakshasha could surely detect no entrance. So like a physical space that he's creating. Could, the evil demons should, could surely detect no entrance. Yet when I speak a blessing, I hear the heavy tread of countless running feet in the air above me, yet see no one. Just when I am to make the offering and end the sacrificial rites, flesh and gore fall on my altar. My water jars break untouched. My figwood ladles warp and groan and my fires go out. Which is a really neat way to describe what happens to our meditations. You know, you start out with a lot of good intention, you sit down and meditate, and all of a sudden your mind is wandering and you're daydreaming. And, um, you know, you could say if you were to um, objectify it, that your sacrificial fire, you know, your thoughts fall on it, it squelches the fire, <laughs> your ladles warp, everything like goes topsy turvy. And so that's what's happening to uh, Vishwamitra out in the forest. Vashishta. Vishwamitra. It's what happened to Vishwamitra out in the forest. So he's come to ask the king for a favor. And the king said, hey, I'll do anything. So we can almost guess what, the, what Vishwamitra is going to ask of him. Because Vishwamitra loves nothing more than his four sons, and yet here's this priest who needs to defeat these demons. So, all right. Good night, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. This has been a production of Pilgrimage of the Heart Yoga. Join us at our studios here in San Diego or visit us online at pyo.yoga. Namaste.